I guess with the gym, you get that you get that validation fairly quickly. And the gym rewards discipline. It rewards consistency. Probably two traits and two characteristics that I really value. Do you train young athletes? Do you want to help inspire and empower them? And do you want to help them learn how to take care of their body for a lifetime? If so, you're going to love this week's show. Dr. Sean Maloney is a strength and conditioning coach and lecturer based in Milton Keynes, England. He started his own coaching business, Maloney Performance, back in 2011 following an internship with the English Institute of Sport. Currently, Sean leads the strength and conditioning support for MK Breakers Basketball Club and MK Badminton Academy, with private work predominantly focused on the development of youth athletes. Sean teaches on the MSC Strength and Conditioning course at Middlesex University, as well as for the University of Bedfordshire and the Professional Golfers Association. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as someone who has coached kids for over two decades, and with two young people running around my house, training and coaching young athletes has always been a passion of mine. And that's why this discussion with Sean was so powerful, because we both want to help our young athletes not only get the most out of their sport, but also learn life skills that will benefit them for the rest of their lives as well. But perhaps most importantly, we're going to talk about how you, as their coach, can help empower them and help build the confidence many young athletes so desperately need. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new episode with Sean Maloney. Did you know that in any given year, 40% of the trainers and coaches in our industry will leave our industry? Maybe that's why it seems like almost every day I talk to trainers and coaches who are frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if this sounds anything like you, let me tell you how I can help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you. People who are serious about the results they get and know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is going to take the last 20 plus years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In the cert, you'll learn how to use my R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. You'll learn the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym to help your clients squat, hinge, press, and pull with awesome technique. You'll learn my streamlined assessment process that will help you determine the exact movements your clients should be performing when they come in the gym. And last but not least, you'll learn how to create relationships and build rapport with virtually everyone you train so you can get the best possible results. Of course, there's a lot more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the CERT only open twice per year for a limited time. But if you join my free insiders list now, you'll be able to save $200 when my next group opens. 
To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, that's completecoachcertification.com and then stay tuned for our launch emails very soon. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you'll join us when the next Complete Coach Certification launches. Sean, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Really excited to have you on and have a chat. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Cool. Thank you for the invite, Mike. Generally thrilled to be on. And yeah, just having the opportunity to chat with you. I think yeah. it's especially meaningful for me because growing up in the industry in the mid to late noughties, you were definitely part of that kind of T-Nation elite FTS kind of gang going on that scene and definitely had a significant impact on my career growing up. So, I mean, first awesome. off, man, a bit of fanboy action, just expressing <laughs> my gratitude to, to you for your contributions yeah. to the industry and, and then to my personal growth as well. I mean, for me, I've taken very much a, a kind of crossbreed path in my career. I've always described myself as a little bit of a Mongol. So I run my own strength conditioning business where I'm involved in kind of private coaching, consultancy, small contract type work. My primary focus, my primary realm is youth athletes at the moment, which I find incredibly rewarding as a yeah. I'm sure we'll get into and, and chat about. But in addition to that kind of practical work, I also work as a strength conditioning lecturer that's primarily with the amazing team at Middlesex University in the UK. I've also worked a lot with University of Bedfordshire, did my PhD there, and also for the last few years as a, a guest lecturer for the PGA, Professional Golfers Association. Oh, so wow. Okay. That's been really that's cool. cool, man. Um, yeah. Yeah. Passionate about education, passionate about youth athletes, and uh, yeah, just trying to learn and evolve and make this field and myself even better. Yeah. I love it, man. So talk to me. What originally got you started in the world of physical preparation? What started this journey for you? I mean, I'm sure you've heard this a million times. It's the failed athlete <laughs> story, isn't it? Grew up playing a lot of football, sorry, soccer, soccer yeah. and rugby growing up clear early on that I wasn't going to make a decent living out of doing that. <laughs> so definitely wasn't the most naturally technically gifted athlete. So had to work hard on kind of physicality and all the other sides of the game. So that's where that kind of determination and hard work outside of, of the sport becomes really important. And yep. That determination led me into the gym and discovered a genuine kind of passion for the weight room, for speed development, and ultimately for strength conditioning. And found I really enjoyed the process of training, the improvements that you see in yourself. And the passion kind of led me down the, the sports science path, did that as an undergraduate degree, and then continued to learn, got into the master's strength conditioning at Middlesex University. And that's kind of where my career in strength conditioning started. At that time, I took up an internship with the English Institute of Sport and GB Badminton, mm. worked with a really great coach there called Andy Olford. Yeah. And that's where, that's where my journey began really. I love it. I love it. And then I always love to get this question too, because I think it's so powerful and so important for young coaches to kind of get a feel for, you don't go from your university to your dream job or opening your own gym. So could you fill in some of those career gaps for us and just let us know some of the stops that you maybe took along the way? Cool. I mean, the journey's a, it's a weird one to describe because it, it's certainly not what you describe as linear or traditional. Um, <laughs> yep. So after the internship with EIS, which finished kind of 2010 time, I went through a period of three to four months where I had, I think, eight job interviews. Three of them were second interviews. Didn't get one of them. So that's oh. kind of the crossroads <laughs> point where you can either yep. keep on trucking and going down that path or go hey, I want to take control of my own destiny here. So that kind of prompted me to set up my own venture, which eventually became known as Maloney Performance, which is, hey, not the most original of names. <laughs> Certainly not something I'd pick again with my business brain hat on. But yeah, so I started down that path and just gradually picked up 
athletes that I knew in the local area started to harness some of the relationships I already had, like with Badminton England. So I've had three or four tenures there working with the junior pathway programs. I worked with Wasps Rugby, leading a mm-hmm. kind of small academy development site until the money ran out. Headed the SNC for the University of Bedfordshire for a few years while I was there. So yeah, it's just picking up lots of different kind of projects and collaborations as part of kind of starting your own small business. From the teaching standpoint, I guess I've been quite privileged to teach everywhere I've studied so I guess that kind of reflects well on on what I've done there so immediately after the masters I did a little bit of work with Coventry University they were setting up their masters at the time and that was where I'd done my undergraduate Um, been working with Middlesex since 2012 2013 on and off and then started my PhD at University of Bedfordshire in 2013 so had some teaching responsibilities there and I've kept teaching with Bedford and kept teaching with Middlesex ever since Yeah, it's just interesting because I have always thought of coaching and education as very kind of intertwined. I don't think a lot of people think of it that way, but I think coaches are inherently kind of educators. And so it's interesting to see where you found this way to merge the two and and in a lot of ways have these two very similar yet parallel paths in your career. Yeah, 100%. Coaching is teaching, teaching is coaching. So they're very much like the nuts and the bolts of it are slightly different, but I guess the general philosophies and underpinning underpinning nature of it is very similar and hopefully yeah. really complementary. Certainly, probably more so for the teaching side, you need to have skin in the game, I think. Yes. In order to deliver the best experience for the students, 100%. Agreed. 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 Okay. So let's start with a topic that I know we're both passionate about, and that's training young athletes. Why do you enjoy training young athletes so much? I mean, hands down, it's the impact that you can have on their lives. So it's not just about developing the physical qualities. It's about developing everything around that. So instilling confidence, resilience, growth mindset. And with these sorts of athletes, you can you feel like you have more of an impact on the adult they can become and ultimately what they can achieve in their life, in their career. And, and that goes beyond sport. So with the younger age group, we can start to set in those foundational habits those foundational behaviors that go beyond the weight room go beyond the training field and we can start to develop life skills such as perseverance resilience teamwork and and those hopefully will serve them really well in whatever path they choose to go down whether that's a sporting path or not i mean the the training sessions themselves are just really fun to coach Uh, particularly (laughs) the younger you get i mean we beg steal and borrow from every kind of discipline under the sun really whether it's kind of gymnastics parkour chase tag animal flow yoga weightlifting you name it we've probably got some sort of influence there within the program um and that diversity of activities keeps things really fun really engaging not just for them but for me as well we're just seeking to create an environment where they can play where they can explore and have fun while they're doing it and it's not that you can't do this stuff with pros it's just there are a lot more barriers and there are a lot more roadblocks in the way that maybe stop you from going as far down that route as you can with the younger ones yeah and i guess lastly with the with the kids they just come with a completely different energy that kind of freedom enthusiasm kind of unshackled nature it's really cool really fun and ultimately it's contagious it rubs off on you if you if you have that sort of energy around you for sure i just love the idea of the growth mindset. And this is something that I've really tried to instill in virtually every athlete that I've coached, whether it's a young athlete in the weight room, right? Or in a speed camp or something like that, as well as when I've coached them, my kids are at a certain age now. So I coach them in baseball, basketball, soccer. Anytime you can go out there and start the whole, I'm not good at this. And then the whole, well, you're not good at this yet. 
right? And just trying to help them understand that there's work and that if you want to be good at something, there are a select few that are pretty darn good right off the bat. But most of us that get to a certain level have to work to get there. And just trying to instill that in them and help them learn that via the weight room or sport, I think is so rewarding. 100%, 100%. And with our groups, we'll generally find that there will be some people that can do some things well and some people that can do other things really well. So making it, yeah, making it as inclusive as possible and showing that different people will have different strengths and using yes. the group to kind of mentor each other and to, yeah, to serve as role models for one another in, in those different aspects. Yeah, when we have kids like that, especially when they start to compare, we always try and help them understand that everybody has superpowers, right? Every kid likes superheroes, or at least most of the ones that I've interacted with. So when you can say, well, you just have to find your superpower, and then it's like a challenge to them, right? Okay, well, this guy might be really strong, but I'm really fast, or I'm, I, I can run forever. So helping them find their own superpowers, I think, can be very rewarding as well. Yeah, it gives them so much power. And in that power, in that confidence comes the ability to then push themselves in some of the other realms and to develop their, their superpowers, their super strengths, and to also be working on the weaknesses and, and taking away some of the roadblocks that might be holding them back in terms of injuries or performance. Yeah, I love it. So I'm really interested in these workouts. <clears throat> Excuse me. Talk to me more about your workouts, because I think a lot of times people want to make kids into mini adults. Right. And all of a sudden it just looks like a group fitness class or you're just doing like squatting and bench pressing and lunging. And I love kind of your mindset and where you're going with your workout. So could you talk to me a little bit more about that or explain maybe some ways you try and shape these workouts to make it really fun and engaging for your athletes? Yeah, I think that challenge sometimes comes from the kids as well. Some of them kind of want to be training like mini adults some of the time. And it's yeah sometimes surprising how it is challenging to get them to play and do stuff without a script and without a rule book, which is a little bit worrying because I think in certainly in my day, we would go out and we would free play and we would do stuff and we would yes. create things. And there's probably not that same extent of a free play that there was. So trying to provide a safe space for that and set some environments up that naturally afford that. So Jeremy Frisch's work with, with like obstacle course racing is kind of yep. well and truly in the zeitgeist of S&C now. And um, we do a lot of that type of stuff. I think one of the things we do a lot in the, I'm hastened to say the warm up bit of our sessions, but the start of our sessions, we will yep. have several station based options where some of it might be some obstacle course, jumping, parkour type things. Probably the best piece of equipment we've got in the gym is a big crash mat where they can practice <laughs> tumbling. They can start to do flips. They can do long jumps, cartwheels million different things we've got quite a heavy cricket group at the moment so they love doing like diving catches and acrobatics and things on that we can set some high hurdles up and naturally that will afford some like hurdle mobility drills some step overs maybe even starting to work in some tuck jumps and things like that we set the small hurdles up they start to do some hops some some running patterns like they'll start running wickets by themselves without even instructing and doing that and then what we try and do is just explore different options for doing it so when we see one of the kids do something that's a little bit different to the other kids, hey, let's look at X and we're going to all try and then copy that and right. then move on to the next person and we'll see if they can do that in a different way. And sometimes that might be me coming in and then giving them different suggestions, but allowing them the, the space to explore without there being a right and without there being a wrong. So they're not yeah. bound to a performance outcome. There's no success per se. It's just trying things out, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. I'd love that. Okay, so talk to me. Because one thing I'm always interested in, and I asked Jeremy the same question when he was on the show, how do parents react to this, right? Because 
there's a lot of parents that think, oh, if little Johnny isn't getting faster, stronger, like these tangible things in their workout, that it's not valuable. And then they come to you and they're running into mats and diving and tumbling and doing all these crazy things. Do you ever get any blowback from parents? And if so, how do you address that? We generally don't. We get the emails and we get the messages about we need to be improving speed or we need to be improving strength or power. So as long as we feel we can make sure we're evidencing that we are tick boxing that within the general program, generally they're pretty happy. Um, I think, yeah, generally we've had some really good feedback from the kids, which is the key thing. If the kids are there and enjoying the sessions and we're starting to instill things like eating four different portions of vegetables a day, three different fruits a day, drinking, going to sleep at an appropriate time, and they're starting to take that home with them. I think then that helps the parents buy into the kind of holistic nature of things. And ultimately, it's down to how they're performing in the sport, I guess, in terms of the the parents being happy or not. And we're generally good at at getting results and making positive changes in that regard. So if the sport's going well, generally the parents are happy. Yeah, yeah. And you and I both know, because we've done this long enough, like all of those foundational movement skills carry over to every sport. So it's almost assured if you're doing these things, you're going to see the improvements. It's not the way that a lot of people would think you need to go about it. Because again, they, a lot of people tend to think in this very linear fashion. Oh, if you want to get faster, you just have to sprint. And not that those things are wrong, right? But having this holistic nature with your younger athletes and like really broadening their movement base and foundation, you and I both know it can make such a powerful impact on them, not just in the short term, but in their long-term development as well. Yeah, and it makes them more adaptable. Like we're working yes. on speed in pretty much every session, but we're working on speed yeah. in a slightly different way. So we're challenging yeah. the ability of them to get themselves into those shapes and make those patterns, but do so from a standing start, from a side-on start, from being in a clinch with somebody because you're yeah. trying to get away and evade a partner. Yeah, so I guess from a motor from a motor learning standpoint, sorry, that should be resulting in a more robust and reliable movement pattern that will stand up under high pressure situations under fatigue when they need it ultimately absolutely i love it so another thing that that you and i kind of discussed and i know you're very focused on is this concept of empowering your athletes and i absolutely love that i love that term and just that mindset why is this important to you and then second what are some ways that we can go about doing it I guess probably the main thing is being able to uh, being able to get that confidence aspect. I mean, Joe Ken probably popularized the the quote that the thing that transfers the most is the confidence aspect and the confidence mm-hmm. transferring from the weight room in that you've prepared your body effectively to cope with the rigors and, and demands of your sport. So ultimately, it's the confidence factor that I think transcend when athletes have that confidence, then it's going to positively influence their mental skills, but also their physical skills as well. And I think the empowerment goes beyond just the physical aspect, but also in terms of preparing athletes for the stresses that they'll ultimately encounter within their career. Um, Working within sports such as badminton in the UK, which has had kind of a history of funding being given and then taken away, and suddenly you're losing your S&C support and you need to be able to cope with that. And if you're a 16 year old academy football, soccer soccer athlete over here. Football is fine, um, man. We're multinational here. Love it you're getting kicked out of your academy at 16 like hopefully you've been set up with the tools you need to then train by yourself until you can find yourself a trial at another club or 
worst case scenario, you just need to train to be active and healthy for the rest of your life. So and that's really important. So equipping them with the mindset and the skills to be able to make informed decisions and, and take control of their own development. Um, yeah. And if you can take control of your own development and be more invested in it, then that makes you more resilient in terms of your mentality and you're more likely to cope, uh, to cope better. In terms of actually the empowerment piece, and there are a few ways, but again, it all comes to athletes being able to take ownership and, and as a coach, giving them an appropriate level of autonomy in the program. So making sure they're involved in the decision-making process, making sure they the athlete has a voice and making sure that voice is heard. So when they do have that sense of ownership, then they're more invested, they're more motivated. Um, obviously that level of autonomy will need to be dependent on the level of the athlete. So sure. with one of our nine-year-olds, that's going to look different to one of our <laughs> like 34-year-old vet basketball players who's been around the yeah. block a little bit more. But all athletes will have choice kind of baked into what they do and baked into their program. Um, and some of those choices might seem unimportant on the surface. It might be choosing whether to do the left leg or the right leg first on a river elevated split squat. It might be what music goes on in the gym, but it's still something that they have choice over and they are starting to control their environment. Um, and then with our more trained, more seasoned athletes, then they have greater ownership of the exercises, maybe even the methodologies that, that they know work for them. Yeah. Um, within the autonomy piece, I think it's important to think about how we're kind of periodizing that and structuring that over the macro cycle. So in kind of a harder preseason training blocks, that's probably a time where we will have more physical challenge. We're maybe more focused on developing weaknesses and overcoming some of those roadblocks to performance. Maybe in those, those cycles, those phases, the autonomy is slightly less and it's slightly more about the group collective and, and challenging, challenging their mentality as well as their physicality. Um, but when we're kind of moving into into those big playoff periods, end of season championships, then we're probably going to get more individualized. There will be more autonomy. There will be more focus on developing those super strengths, those superpowers, and um, building their confidence as they go into those those key per, uh, key periods of the year. I think the last point is probably then making sure that you have a clear rationale and that rationale is understood, because if athletes are empowered with understanding the why behind things. Hopefully that will motivate them more to be engaging in the behaviors that they need to, to ultimately be successful. Um, again, that needs to be tailored to the athlete's level of interest and their comprehension. But yeah, in essence, it's about fostering their independence and their ability to take control, to take ownership. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And it, it just makes me reflect on, been doing this for a little while now, and I've seen like kids that I started with in high school that are now 30-year-olds married, starting families of their own, and just thinking about that process that you go through with them, right? And I think at the start, it is a little bit more rigid, right? The decisions they get to make are probably uh, fewer and further between, but you let them start to take some ownership. And then the longer you work with them, right, once they have the fundamentals down, it's really cool when you send an athlete off to college and their strength coach says, wow, this is like the best moving athlete, or they're willing and able to speak up for themselves, right? Like maybe a particular work, particular lift doesn't work for them. So they know alternatives because they've been around the block and they've tried different things and they can say, for me personally, a back squat doesn't feel the best, but if I front squat or if I two kettlebell goblet squat or two kettlebell front squat, those types of options feel better on my back or whatever. It's really cool to see that evolution. And then like you alluded to at the end of it all, right? Everybody hangs them up at some point, right? You can go down to the rec league and, and, get buckets on somebody, but at some point you stop playing at, a, at your highest level and to be able to continue to train 
and take care of your body at the highest level, I think that's really empowering for me as a coach to see your athletes kind of go through that process and see their evolution. Yeah. Um, and certainly I guess the crowd that I work with a lot will be passed on to somebody else. So giving them that, yes, that filter for what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And, and what you said about having the confidence to, to speak up and know your body and to be empowered with that is, is massive. And ultimately at the end of career, like most athletes are going to be dealing with stuff and they need to know how to deal with that stuff and still yes. train and still be active and still be able to play with their kids and play with their grandkids ultimately. Um, yeah. I love it. So in our emails leading up to the show, you talked a lot about building an athlete's confidence. So I really got a couple questions here. The first one is more directly to you because something you mentioned was the weight room helped you build confidence, right? And it did the same for me. So I love that. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, how the weight room helped you, and then how you're helping your athletes now build their confidence in the weight room or via working with you. Cool. I mean, that first one can get super deep. Yeah. I think there are probably a couple of keys in, in kind of my realm of it. So first with me, there's definitely been a kind of not good enough complex. And that probably comes from not being the best at things yeah, I wanted to sure. be good at. Sure. I guess with the gym, you get that, you get that validation fairly quickly and you get that real tangible progress in your abilities, your capacities. And that's incredibly rewarding and really boost your self-confidence. Yeah. And I think second is probably the control factor. So when there are things in your life that you maybe can't control, having an outlet of things you can manage and manage predictably becomes like a, a psychologically safe space. And it's something that definitely, like the gym rewards discipline. It rewards consistency, probably two traits and two characteristics that I really value. Um, so yeah, without getting too deep, that's probably my story yeah. behind things. When it comes to the athletes I work with, competence maybe takes a different form so that there's definitely that kind of self-esteem factor uh, to play but it's probably more so about the being able to train injury free without restriction and being able to take away any roadblocks and performance that are potentially holding them back so i guess the first priority with any snc program is maximizing uh, the athlete's availability to, to train and perform at the highest possible level so they can get the most from their sport training sessions um yep. making sure they're not going to break down and making sure they are not thinking about the ankle or the hamstring so they can focus on the sport and what they need to do. Second, in terms of the roadblocks, like we want to make sure that athletes aren't limited by the lack of speed, the lack of power, the lack of strength. So making sure that they can capitalize on all the affordances and the movement landscape and their physicality isn't a limiting factor for them. So yeah, it's probably more of a dual approach here in terms of, yes, the self-esteem and the confidence factor, but also the confidence in the, in the physicality and their body and being mm -hmm. able to do what they need to do and want to do. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Something I wrote down here was growing up, I only played team sports, right? So it just depended on the year. But, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, I played every team sport. And I always enjoyed the weight room. But it wasn't until I got into powerlifting that I learned the value of an individual sport, right? Or a stopwatch sport, as they would say, because it's very clear if you have put in the work or not. Right. You go to a powerlifting meet, you haven't trained, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to anybody else in there whether you put in the work. But if all your lifts have stayed exactly the same because you haven't put in the time and the work, okay, that's on you. Right. Versus that the just like how great you feel after you put in three, six months of really hard training and now all your lifts have gone up, your technique's better, you're more confident. I think there's huge value in that. And that's one of the things that the weight room offers you. 
right? Like team sport, you can be reliant on others versus like you alluded to, the weight room is one area where it's 100% on you. Either you put in the work or you don't. Yeah, you're 100% accountable. Yeah. Some people love that. Some people struggle with that. And yeah, it's a, it can be a very different dynamic and different set of challenges to, to team sport. Yeah. Just a random aside, but my daughter ran track two years ago. And I think she's <laughs> going to get back into it this year. But I think that was really eye-opening for her as well because she went and she did her first race and she did okay. But she realized very quickly, okay, this is not my middle school, right? There's This is like a really good track meet. There's really fast girls. Okay. But then also two months later, if you haven't put in the work and you haven't trained the way you need to, you're not magically just going to get better. So again, I just think there's value in that for just kids as a whole to have that balance of team sports, to give you that camaraderie, to help you learn how to work as a team, but those individual sports to learn, hey, look, can't blame anything else on anybody else here. It's all about you and your effort and your desire to get better. So I think there's value in both. I love that. Yeah. And for some of the individual athletes, that's the kind of things that we can develop in the group sessions. There is that kind of, there's that opportunity for group interaction, for working as teams. But then when it comes into like the lift portions of the sessions, like it's you and that sheet of paper and things need to be going up from week to week, from month to month. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So let's shift away from athletes for a little bit because another topic, very similar, right? The more I learned about you, we're very similar in the sense that I know you're very passionate about educating and, and building the next great generation of coaches as well. So I'd love to hear, I love to hear people's stories, like what motivates you? Like, why is this important to you? And how did you have people around you that molded you as a young coach? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think reflecting on my own journey, I had the privilege of being mentored by Andy Olford when I was doing my internship at the EIS. Andy was an exceptional mentor in many ways. His character was very different from mine, certainly at the time. So probably more as an introvert and somebody that probably suffered with social anxiety a little bit when yeah. I was starting off in my career. He was a fantastic people person. And just being able to observe and learn from him was fantastic in my development and gave me a lot of confidence in, in my ability to interact with athletes and other members of the kind of multidisciplinary support team. And his background was kind of more so in the agility side of training for badminton, which coming as a kind of Jim Wendler, 531 at the time, disciple, (laughs) wannabe powerlifter, yeah, was a a very different, very different set of skills that I didn't have at the time. So yeah, learning from Andy was absolutely brilliant. Um, In terms of the the desire to develop coaches, I think it, it probably extends to the reach that you can have with what you do. So I can maybe influence 100 athletes in a year whereas if i'm influencing 10 coaches you have 30 athletes keep the maths nice and easy that's 300 yeah so you can positively affect the lives the development of more people which then hopefully leads into those athletes having a more positive life experience and then more likely to do more positive things and influence more people so hopefully it's that kind of chain of kindness chain of positivity without getting too kind of left field with things Yeah, I always think of it as it's just better leverage, right? Or another analogy would be throwing the pond or the stone into the pond, right? The people closest to you are your athletes, and those are the ones you have the strongest and deepest impact on. But that doesn't mean you don't want that ripple effect. And so that's why kind of selfishly, I guess, or unselfishly, depending on how you look at it, that's why I've written articles and created this podcast and shoot the videos because like you, I want to create that next generation of great coaches and 
it's not going to magically happen on its own, right? We need people that are willing to put themselves out there and try and push the industry forward. So I really respect what you're doing, man. That's awesome. 100%. Right back at you. Right back at you. <laughs> so here's a tough one, because as anybody that's mentored young people knows, it's kind of cliche, but critical thinking skills, super important right? Not just being spoon fed everything, not taking everything that's said on the social media for, for granted or at face value. So how are some ways that you work with your young developing coaches to help them cultivate those critical thinking skills? Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, we've got a few strategies, but probably the most, most impactful is just trying to harness effective questioning. And I think that's at the core of critical thinking. It's creating an environment be that, be that if a coach is working with me as an intern or be that in a kind of teaching capacity, trying to create an environment where questions aren't just kind of tolerated, but actively encouraged. So mm -hmm. just asking why, like, why are we doing something? What's the rationale for this? Why are we doing X and not Y? So trying to understand the reasoning and the rationale behind things, same as we mentioned with our athletes, if they're understanding the reasoning, hopefully they can kind of promote that critical thinking and they can start to analyze things and offer alternative suggestions and things like that. Challenging assumptions, assumptions, easy for me to say, <laughs> is a big one. I guess there are kind of lots of things that are just accepted and taken at will. Sure. Uh, so some of the tasks we do with our students is just get them to defend an alternative approach to something. Yes. So just throwing something at them and go, why would you do that? What's the rationale for that? What's their thinking? Even if it might be something that we would suggest is not the optimum solution, why might that yes. still be a useful solution? And in what circumstances yeah. might that actually be the best solution? Multiple solutions is another one. If we have a problem that we're bringing to the table, I want to make sure you're coming with at least two solutions to that. So it's clear that you've considered something. So that's one rule we'd have whenever we're working with a, a problem-based situation, you have at least two solutions. So you've not just taken one and got fully down that path. So we're making sure that we're encouraging, yeah, encouraging the exploration of alternative options. Probably the other big piece is just exposing them to as diverse uh, situation experiences, coaches as, as possible. So I've done lots of things to just challenge myself a little bit over the course of my career, be that be like, I wanted to get better at sprinting. So I joined the local athletics club. Um, yeah, I was interested in what yoga could offer. So I joined a yoga studio and practiced that and, and still do to some extent dance classes, improv classes, like just things that are going to challenge you. And you see different approaches to teaching, to instruction and challenge some of the areas of your abilities that you maybe thought were unimportant. I love it. So two points I want to note here. Number one, I love the idea of when they ask a question making them think through potential answers first. So you kind of alluded to this, but when, instead of somebody just asking, why do you front squat, right? Or why do you do this activity? And then we just spit them out an answer. I say, well, why do you think I do that, right? So now they have to have a little bit of skin in the game. And if they're right, great, right? Their rationale and their line of thinking is similar to mine, that's awesome. And if not, okay flesh that out, and then I can talk about why I do things that way, right? So regardless of whether they're right or wrong, it deepens the learning process, and I feel like they get more out of it. Second, yeah, 100%. And you can start to get the little nuggets as well. Yeah. So yeah. what does that do to the load? How do you notice that the trunk angle changes when they do front squat versus back squat? So yes. you're, you're starting to push them towards stuff, 
but not spoon feeding them the answers. Yes. Love that. And then the second piece, and I think this is even more important, the older you get and or the longer you're in the industry is find ways to be a beginner again. Because it's really easy if you've done this 10, 15, 20 years, you've had a certain amount of reps and experience and success to forget what it's like to be a total newbie at something. So like you alluded to, you started sprinting, right? You went to yoga class, dance, improv, find ways to be a beginner. So my son is kind of getting into tennis. I'm like, I've never played tennis. Maybe I'm going to go take tennis lessons just to put myself in that uncomfortable zone of being a beginner again and remembering what that feels like. Because I feel like it just helps kind of like, it, it dampens the ego a little bit. And it reminds you that, hey, just because you're successful in one thing, there's plenty of successful people in all these different realms and you can learn from them. And ultimately it can make you better in your target area by going back and remembering what it's like to be a beginner and look at life through those eyes. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly we forget, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, yeah. So a lot of times I target the show towards beginner coaches or young coaches. I think that's one, if you've been doing this for a while, find ways to make yourself a beginner again because it will humble you and it will also make you far more patient when you are working with and mentoring young coaches, right? All those questions that bother you or get under your, you're like, oh, how do they not get this? Okay. Those are probably the exact same questions that we asked when we were getting started, right? We're just old and jaded now. <laughs> so, all right, Sean, I got one more question, then we'll start to wrap this up. When we are going back and forth on email, I just, I love your philosophy and your approach. But one thing you said was that, you don't want to be known as a specialist, right? Or you don't want to just be known as a badminton guy or a basketball guy. Why is that? Probably two answers here. And it's very different from a personal standpoint versus a, a business hat on standpoint. Um, mm -hmm. Probably from a business standpoint, it's not the best marketing strategy to market yourself as a generalist. Right. And I guess most of my work and a lot of the referrals have come from particular niches. Um, so I have been the guy that's known in badminton and the guy that's known in basketball or cricket or whatever it is, or weightlifting. Um, yep. But like, it's important for me not to pigeonhole myself as a specialist because I believe in the power of that kind of broad, versatile skill set. And I think strength and conditioning is a very, it's a very diverse set of stuff. There are so many different pigeonholes and things that you can delve into in the realm of a physical preparation. Um, so I think there are a lot of advantages to being a generalist. I mean, number one is the adaptability, the ability to put yourself in different situations and be across enough to understand and then know when you need to go deeper into those specific rabbit holes for a particular situation. So it allows you to have that more holistic approach, I think, it allows you to draw from a wider range of experiences and it allows you to recognize more patterns and then put in place hopefully more tailored solutions just ultimately giving yourself a, a wider toolbox becomes particularly important when you're dealing with some of the more complex problem solving things like generally generalists are better problem solvers because they have a more diverse selection of experiences to to draw on yeah the, the cross-pollination thing is just yeah it's more fun i think it's more enjoyable to be across different things to be able to then delve into specific rabbit holes as and when you need it or as and yeah. when it, it takes your fancy and you want to develop a certain thing. But ultimately it comes back to you being better as a strength and conditioning coach to give a better experience to the athletes in front of you. Um, yeah. 
I think it's such a an important distinction, right? And you stated it very clearly. I think a lot of us would benefit from looking at things from a more macro and global level. Like you said, there's times and places where we want to zoom in on certain areas, and that's absolutely important. But sometimes when it comes to the business and the marketing, maybe you have to be more targeted and more direct, right? Because the scattershot approach, they the saying of when you market to everybody, you attract nobody. It's that kind of thing. So in your marketing, maybe it is, hey, we're great. We're elite at basketball or badminton. But also when you're reflecting on yourself, you don't think of yourself as just a badminton guy or just a basketball guy. You're a coach that can also dive into those areas and provide solutions to some of these complex situations that you might come up with. Yeah, 100%. 100% on that. Very cool. Okay, big question time, my friend. If you could alter the space-time continuum, and give young Sean Maloney one piece of advice, what would it be? Cool. I think my answer would probably change on a monthly, if not weekly basis to this. Um, <laughs> I think the one I'd probably come back to most would probably be go to therapy earlier. And I think there's been times where it's not always been particularly helpful in terms of the situation, but it certainly some of the teachings have given me a better understanding of me as a person. And they've definitely made me a better friend, a better partner, but ultimately a better coach as well. Yeah. So yeah, that would probably be my answer of the week for that one. Okay. Okay. I like that. I don't think I've had that one before. That's a new one. Everyone should try therapy. Everyone. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. Oh, I take that back. Maybe Molly Galbraith said that because I know she's talked a lot about how important that was for her and her own healing and getting through some stuff that she was dealing with. So, and I also like that we're in a place now where we're so much more open about talking about these sorts of things versus... 20, 30 years ago, there was such a stigma about seeing a therapist or they thought there was something wrong with you versus, no, this is something that a lot of people can really benefit from. Yeah, there's a lot more a lot more focus on social media. So some great yes. accounts like the Holistic Psychologist. Yeah, definitely okay. to want to follow. I'll definitely check that one out. Okay, last but not least, we've got our lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answers can be as long or short as you like. All right, here we go. Number one. What's one way we can start empowering our athletes right now? Ask them what they want to work on um, and then make sure that when they get their next program that you're showing them how what they've asked for is being delivered in the program. So they need to feel like they have a voice, but they need to feel like that voice is being listened to. Um, yeah, that would be, cool. be the starting point, I think. Very cool. Okay, number two. Did you have a coach growing up that you really looked up to or admired? There's probably been a few in that kind of starting point in my career. So Andy Alford would, would definitely be up there. Going back a little little younger, yeah, a couple of PE teachers, would have Mr. Davenport that would have been kind of high school age and just somebody that was kind of really fun, enthusiastic and got yeah. you excited about PE. So yeah, probably something like that would, would start of, yeah, sowed the seeds for, for yeah. a career in, in athletic development. Yeah, I'm always interested to hear because I think as most coaches – we learn a lot, right? We're always pulling whether we know it or not when we're young kids. And I think most of us have that blend of hopefully mostly good, but then also some bad coaches and all of those experiences help mold and shape us. So I'm always interested. Number three, really interested in this one. What kind of numbers are you putting up in the Olympic lifting and sprinting games these days? Well, you'll probably get a good reflection of how average an athlete I am from this. I can only work in kilos. 
so English Masters will be coming up in a few months for the weightlifting. So I'd like to post kind of 180, 185. Again, I'm not sure what that is in pounds. And it's been my first season. Well, first in uni, I had a sub 12. Best I've had this okay. year is a 12.07 with a little I bit mean, of I mean, that's good. So I'd like to go sub yeah. 12 again. I think as, a, as an old man, that's decent. That's amazing, dude. Good for you, man. <laughs> I just respect anybody at, I'll just say our age right? <laughs> Anybody over 35 or who can start classi classifying themselves as masters, submasters, any of those, anybody that's still out there in the game, I'm impressed, dude. So keep it up, man. Keep it up. Last but not least, number four, what's next for Sean Maloney? I think just keep swimming. Um, it's a busy time of year. So academics um, just getting underway. Uh, basketball season just started. Uh Youth group, super busy. Cricket guys heading into off-season. Uh, end of year championships for Abington. Yeah, it's going to be a busy time up until uh, up until Christmas, I think. So just keep swimming. Yeah, I love it. Well, Sean, this has been amazing, man. Thank you so much for your time as well. Thanks so much for just the effort that you're giving and the energy you're putting into your young coaches and your young athletes. I really respect that a lot. So where can my listeners find out more about you and the great work that you're doing? I guess the best place, standard socials, so Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever it's called now. If you're interested in any of the academic paper stuff, ResearchGate, if the papers aren't on there, you can always send me a message and request them and I'll send them over and old school email. Yeah, I'll do my best to answer anything that, that comes across. It might be a couple of days for a response, but, but you should always get one. I love it, man. Well, Sean, this has been really amazing. Thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, Mike. Thank you very much for the invite. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Sean Maloney. Really hope you enjoyed it. Such a great episode, such a great topic. I love talking about this because whether we're talking about the kids in the weight room or whether we're talking about you know little kids that you're maybe coaching you know, on a soccer pitch, on a basketball court, in a, on a baseball field, the lessons that Sean and I covered, I think, are universally applicable, and they are so critical in today's day and age. I think it's very, very hard to be a kid these days. I've said it numerous times on this show and in various environments, I couldn't imagine being a kid these days. There's so much pressure, you know, social media, the internet, you're constantly comparing yourself to others. So finding ways to really build these kids up, to empower them, to help grow their confidence, I think is such a powerful message and something that more of us will hopefully be taking to heart. So with that being said, really appreciate you checking out today's show. If you enjoyed it, please do me a small favor. If you know somebody who works with young athletes, please share this episode with them. It doesn't matter how you send it. You can just say, hey, I checked this out. Tag us on social media, at Rob Train Systems. Whatever you want to do, just help us spread the word because more young athletes need to be exposed to good coaches like you, people that are serious about their growth and development, and they understand, look, only like 1% are ever going to you know, play in college or get you know, to be able to play in the professional ranks. The other 99% are going to use the skills that we take them and hopefully use them in a positive way that helps them stay fit and healthy for the rest of their lives. So if you would share this with just one other person, I would truly appreciate it. And with that being said, that does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you, and we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.